here today with Kate Frazier Neely. She's a career voice teacher and she's a musician of over 32 years, working with professional and committed amateur singers, including myself, in classical, musical theater, jazz, and pop music. She also works with voiceover artists and public speakers, designing short programs of vocal development to suit their needs. She's awesome, let's just say it. <laughs> While working with Kate, Students have earned Broadway roles, National Musical Theater, Kennedy Center Musical Theater Tours, signed contracts with Cirque du Soleil. Wow. <laughs> I want to do that. The Washington National Opera and Disney Tokyo, Helen Hayes Award nominations, and Cinderella Awards. She sung. They have sung with Equity Productions at Signature Theater, Arena Stage, Studio Theater, and the WNO Children's Chorus, Ford's Theater Only Theater. Man, so many other places, and she's just put out a lot of uh, really cool people out there. Good job, Kate. Thank she's you. also an experienced certified practitioner of somatic voice work, TM, the the Levetri method. We'll have to ask about that. A body based holistic approach to teaching singing based on voice science, as well as the principles of somatics. She holds a master's and bachelor's degree in vocal pedic. Pedagogy. How do you say Pedagogy. It? Pedagogy and vocal performance. And she's performed as a singer herself in contemporary cham chamber music, opera, and musical theater on the East Coast and throughout the Midwest. She also has an extensive instrumental background and is a published composer. And she's also a great mom, I might say. <laughs> Both of her kids are awesome. And throughout her 32 years of teaching, Kate has always studied, experienced, and used information from many different disciplines to teach, including yoga, Alexander technique, body mapping, physical therapy, therapeutic massage, and sound therapy, even before this became an accepted way to teach and heal. That's why I love Kate. Hi, Kate. Hey, it's great to be here, finally. Thanks, Thanks for being in the studio. Um, yeah, you you were before your time with all this mind, body, spirit stuff in bringing it to your vocal vocal teaching. How, how did that come about? Well, first of all, I'd like to say that there were others that were doing this separately also. And it's just been in the past few years that we've been able to find each other. Yeah. Uh, because it's become more the accepted way to teach singing. And there's been more of an understanding that the voice is a reflection of where you are in the moment, mm. physically and emotionally and spiritually. And you need to work more than one tool to sort of get at the core of a functional instrument or voice to do your job or to participate in the arts. Right. And I think that, honestly, my way of getting into it came from the fact that I have had a lot of physical trauma in my life, and each time I came back from it, I relearned more and more about the body and how the body and the mind and the heart work together. So because I learned those things and because they affected my own singing for the better, I started realizing that as I worked with people, that was the only way to go because it was what I knew. In other words, I was not teaching what I had been taught but what I had learned, and there's a big difference. Yes, yes. And isn't that cool that that, that kind of came to you in that way? So this is a more holistic approach 
which which treats and and we're talking here about the speaking voice as well as the singing voice. Yes. And as yes. I say this, I have a little tickle in my throat. So excuse me. <laughs> I don't know why that happens. Like when I'm, it's it's like something has to be released when I'm with you because you're such a great healer. <laughs> so let's talk about what what you went through personally that led you to this teaching and how how that I mean that that does seem to happen to all of us you know it does if you're smart you learn what you need to with right. what you've been given and you move on um, it started in graduate school when um, the professors at the University of Maryland College Park kept throwing me the theater majors to work with because they did not want to work with them so the theater majors who wanted to sing sort of got thrown my way, and uh, I had very few tools to help them. Um, and I had this huge conversation with my husband at the time, who was born and grew up in Cameroon, West Africa, where I was trying to explain to him what I was learning in graduate school for singing opera and singing classical music. And I called it the right way to sing, the proper way to sing. And my husband looked at me and he said in the way he has of doing, what makes your way right? You're going to tell me that the entire continent of Africa that sings daily, but with a different sound, they're doing it wrong. And it really brought me up short and had me start thinking about aesthetics in musical theater, the musical theater sound versus the classical sound. And if you were talking about healthy function, what is the difference between the two? And at that time, I could not find the information. I was kind of going at it alone. So Kate, why don't you tell us a little bit about the the traumas that you said you went through that kind of led you to this new approach to teaching? And, and it's, it's very interesting how these experiences come to us. Uh, just they're they're kind of just what we need if we're able to surrender to them, don't you think? I do. Um, it takes a lot of wisdom and patience. Mm -hmm. But I think one of the things we're all here to learn right now is what exactly is self-love? What does that mean? Is it a selfish thing or is it the foundation for living a life well? And part of my journey over the past um, 25 years has been a series of abdominal surgeries that were quite severe. And each time I had to regroup and relearn how to sing and relearn how to speak. There were some other surgeries in there also. And it really taught me a lot about the body, the role of the body in singing in a way that book learning could not teach me in a way that my teachers who were performers could not teach me because they had not had the same experiences. And along the way, in order to heal from these and sort of get out of, honestly, what was a pattern of abdominal surgery, I had to start employing lots of other alternative health uh, options. It included yoga and Alexander technique and nutrition and um, exercise and physical therapy and a whole slew of helpful modalities. So through the traumas that you mentioned, how did you come to find these different methods of teaching um, 25 or so years ago when you went through all that? I think I can answer that in two ways. The first is that it wasn't until 
fairly recently that I realized that one of my gifts was that I hear and sense on multi-levels. When I was young, I would hear someone's words, but I would always respond to something other than the words they used because I was keying in to their emotional centers and the tone that came through the words, not the actual words themselves. And this created a lot of problems in communication for me when I was younger and in my 20s. Yeah, I would imagine if you don't really understand it. If you, right, I was never responding to the words and to the information that came through the words. I would respond to the information that came through the energy of the person and the tone of the voice. And back then, I didn't know that this was a gift and that there were ways to train that so that it could be helpful to other people and also reduce the confusion in me. It was kind of like having two sets of eyes and two sets of ears. Wow. A set of eyes that saw outward, a set of eyes that saw inward, and a set of ears outward and a set of ears inward. And so when I was young, I was always very confused because I didn't know which information to download and to actually use. Now, would you call that gift clear audience? Is it a uh, form of that? I, it probably is a form of it. It's also, I've read that it's the kind of gift that comes through the body because I will pick up those energy signals in my body somewhere. Mm. So by the time I was in my early 30s, I had picked up so much crap from people that it had literally lodged in my body. And I ended up over a 20-year period with a series of rather severe abdominal surgeries. Um, Each time I came back from a surgery, and there were eight or nine of them, many with pretty awful complications, such as after the birth of my daughter, the surgeon sewing the placenta back into my womb, Mm. um, I discovered that each time I came back, I had to relearn how to sing. I had to relearn how to get my energy back, my strength back, to parent, to work, to partner. And so I started using alternative health care options because medical science could not help me. And as I did that and as I learned, I discovered that these things could help the people who came to see me in my voice studio, whether it was a committed amateur or I was a professional looking for options to strength strengthen their voices, or try to meet the demands of the marketplace. And I found that I could provide a service that many voice teachers do not, because many voice teachers are teaching what they've been taught or what they've read, not what they've learned through their own bodies. Or if they are performers, they might be brilliant performers and brilliant singers, but that's a different set of skills than teaching the person in front of you and helping them unfold their voice from within themselves as opposed to slapping on a whole bunch of aesthetics. Sound like this, put the sound here, do this with your belly, do that. And you need to see the person in front of you where they are and unfold it from there rather than sticking stuff on top of them. Wow. So you really, you you learned through your own experiences and through your, your intuitive gifts 
what what you need and you and every single person who comes to you gets sort of a customized experience absolutely absolutely and, and it's body mind and spirit exactly. i love that kate i didn't even know i was getting that when i was coming to you <laughs> well and i've i've gotten better it's too. evolved it's evolved and there are other voice teachers that work like this there are more of us now than there used to be but for many years i i really felt like i was going at it alone Wow. Well, let's talk about this because we we decided we were going to talk about the voice as our own individual personal energy imprint. And I love that because I've been listening to a lot of podcasts since I've started doing this because, you know, I just want to improve. And last night I was listening to one and these two very inspirational people were talking to each other in such a natural sounding voice. And I found myself so drawn to listening to their voices, and I just wanted to see what they look like, and I wanted to hear everything, and just I, I was just so drawn because of their voice. So talk about that. Talk about the importance of the voice as an expression of our, our personal energy. Well, you stop to think about it. We actually do respond more to the tone of the voice than we do the actual words. Um, Words are important, but um, if I say, I love you, Connie, <laughs> that means something entirely different than, I love you, Connie, or I love you, Connie. Yeah, that's my and husband. <laughs> you, sort of, you can sort of start, you can read all sorts of other things behind it. See, actually, I think more people are sensitive to this than um, we realize. Right, right. And if you think of the best and worst voices you hear and of the impact they can make on you, um, at their very best, voices soothe and comfort or give a sense of warmth and confidence. And at their worst, they irritate and leave the listener with a sense of distance and maybe even disdain for the speaker. And... Um, there was an interesting poll done about 10 years ago by the Center for Voice Disorders at Wake Forest University. And the poll identified the best United States voices at that time as James Earl Jones, oh, of course, right? Sean Connery, Julia Roberts, and Katie Couric. Interesting. And the worst voices at the time were those of Fran Drescher, <laughs> Roseanne Barr, Joan Rivers, and Howard Stern. And I think Fran Descher's voice merits special attention in part because she succeeded professionally with a very raspy and nasal voice, but because she made the decision, because she's sort of, um, she wants to think of herself as sort of a take charge, go get him sort, and she wants to stick out, she made the decision to stay with that voice and and worked with it, but Part of the reason it was successful is because she has her body behind it. She has breath behind it. Right, right. So that whine, that raspy laugh works because it's a whole body thing for her. It's not just from the throat up. Yeah. And that's what they mean when they say, if you make a choice, really commit to it. Commit to that yeah. choice and put your whole self into it. And actually, a lot of my work with um, professional uh, jazz and R&B and musical theater singers is, if someone is asked to do a role that is perhaps not in their best vocal interest, but quite frankly, you're not going to turn down a role, you're not going to turn down a paycheck, you're not right. going to turn down a production, how far can you stray 
from your natural default healthy voice to create the character that you need to. It's a, it's a very interesting fine line because if I have to do a show seven, eight times a week, and it's very much like a professional athlete in that little things make a big difference in your performance, then I better have a baseline of physical coordination and health to come from and learn just how far I can stray from that to do my character rather than going all the way and having it disconnect from my body and who I am and the little tiny muscles of the throat because then that's where we get nodes, we get pathology, we get sickness. And today more and more people are saying, oh, I'll just give it everything I have and then I'll have surgery Mm. to fix it. And quite frankly, when you have the amount of money that's involved with superstars, you can see why they feel that way. But honestly, it leads to a lot of inauthenticity, and it leads to a lot of disconnecting from personal strength, I believe. So the idea is to really align the voice with who we are and really embody the voice. I I don't know. Can you articulate this this for me? Yes, I think it's the difference between um, one learns to identify what's habitual versus what is natural. Because... What is natural if, let's say, you have a breathing pattern that is tight Mm -hmm. because of emotional distress or asthma or physical abuse or trying to keep up with the Joneses or whatever, thousands of reasons why we become disconnected with our breath, you're not going to identify that as unnatural if it's habitual. And so part of what voice work does is it it first releases muscles that are involved in the speaking process that should not be, and then it turns around and strengthens muscles that need to be involved in the process. Mm, there we go again with discipline, <laughs> creating yeah. a new discipline for ourselves. Well, and and who, quite frankly, who needs one more thing to do? Right. And I think that that's where the spirit of play of a child learning how to babble for the first time, you know, kids will make noise forever. Mm. Because they are enjoying the physical, sensual feeling of lips and teeth and tongue and breath coordinating this whole thing. It's a physical thing for them. It's a physical enjoyment. And when we work, we have to sort of recapture that childlike spirit of exploration. And that's the only way you can turn this around. Otherwise, it just becomes one more darn thing to add to your to-do list. (laughs) That's for sure. Can you give me an example of what voice work for for speech, just regular speech, might be like? Sure. Um, Keep in mind, this this is a process. And over a podcast like this, I'll just give you one short example that you can use right now and that um, our audience can try out. And that is optimum pitch level. Mm. That's important, isn't it? That's very important. It's, but if I speak too high, can you really, do you really want to hear me? (laughs) Or if I speak too low, do you really want to hear me? Can people really control that? I mean... Yes, and I'll tell you, I'll give you an example right now. There was a study done by the American Society of Trial Consultants, and they put out um, an article on vocal pitch in the courtroom, Mm. which I thought was fascinating. And there was a lot of voice science in this article written by two lawyers. And basically, they said that when you're in the courtroom, you should lower your pitch, lower the pitch of your voice. And this isn't exactly true. 
because I can lower the pitch of my voice, but because it's not part of my natural、right. uh, voice, I'm depressing. I'm depressing my tongue, and I'd really just sound like I'm about to lay an egg,、yeah. right? So they only have part of the equation there, and I'm going to give you、um, an, an example of a real simple exercise you can do to find optimum pitch. So what you're going to do is you're going to sit up、okay. and just blow out real hard, and then inhale and blow out real hard, and then I want you to respond like this. And then you're going to take that pitch level. You notice yours is is lower than mine. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to start talking about right there. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. About that's、oh, uh, and you okay, can say this. Okay. Here I am. I'm I'm right there. Right, you're right there. Right there. I don't know. You're right there. Exactly. That is, that is a sort of、um, that's a band-aid approach to how you would find your own pitch level in speaking. So you're fairly accurate. I'm fairly accurate right now, but I did have to work on it. And you are higher now than you were when we worked together with your singing. Your voice was much lower, much more forced, and much brassier. Oh well, thank you for pointing、yeah. that out, Miss Kate. <laughs> so you can go, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and sort of artificially, mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm sort of speak around that. Pitch level. So I'm doing better, is what you're saying. Yes, you are as, doing as, better as far as my authentic energy. Yes, imprint. In, imprint. Yes, and、mm-hmm. lawyers could do the same thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you're going to find that that place where you you do dip above that and you do dip below that a little、mm-hmm. bit.、Sure. So you mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. See, just you don't want to go. You don't want to talk everything at the same level like that. It goes up and down above that. But that's an example of what voice work. Will introduce to you, and then a large part of voice work is learning how to sustain that with breath management coordination.、Mm. Can、okay. you give us an example of breath, of、yes. breath management? Yes. So tools. We can exactly. So sit in a chair, which you're doing, and you're going to pretend you're driving a stick shift. Okay. And you're going to put one foot on the clutch. And one foot on the brake. Okay. Okay. Doing it. Yep. And then lean slightly back in your chair for a minute, and you're going to start with this sound. Oh, I have trouble with that one. All right. How、okay. about? No, I can do it. I just、okay. spit all over the place. Okay. But spit, I'll do it. Spit freely. All right. Now, what you're going to do when you do is you're going to press down on your clutch and press down on your brake at the same time. Start off with first. Now press down. Did you all hear how her <laughs> got more energetic? Oh, it did. Do、yes. it again. Do okay. It again. Oh, it sounds like a motorcycle revving up. So if I do it, it goes does this. Oh wow! Wow! So it shows that the abdominals and the legs are part of your production of speech. Much more than you realize, and how did I find out about this? All those abdominal surgeries,、mm. because when my belly was sliced up, I talked like this, and I couldn't talk much more than that, and I got very tired very quickly. So, if we're moving through the world and we're not using our our authentic voice, we're missing out on a lot of communication and authentic communication. Would you say? I think that's brilliantly put. It is brilliantly put, you know, and it starts in our education system when we're young, because by the time we're five, any kind of 
authentic and spontaneous communication is pretty well beat out of us in the interest of socializing and becoming nice and sharing. We become in various forms disconnected from authentic response. Now, it's not to say we should all be going around doing whatever we feel like and vocalizing whatever we feel like. But there is something to be said for learning to connect back into that again and then using discernment as to what when you're going to communicate what. That's the first thing. And the second thing is in our educational system, what do we do? We sit in desks and we raise our hand to speak and we work in groups where we might feel self-conscious. And body education in general, which is what Alexander Technique and body mapping and Feldenkrais and Rolfing, all that good stuff, teaches us how to use our bodies in a much more free and coordination, coordinated fashion. All these disciplines teach us how to use our bodies in a much freer and more coordinated fashion. We also don't learn vocal health. We don't learn how to use our voices anymore, at least... Um, in this technological age, we do not speak well anymore. People mumble, and it has nothing to do with age. My 20-year-old daughter was talking about how she was trying to talk with a service representative on the phone and could not understand a thing the person was saying because they were mumbling. So it's something that goes beyond age. It's something that goes beyond socioeconomics. People just do not speak well anymore, and therefore our communication is compromised. And inauthentic. <laughs> and inauthentic. Because if I say to you, if I say to you, um, and as we're speaking, if I say, Connie, I really like your hair, what does that tell you? Connie, I really like your hair. Mm. <laughs> as opposed to, Connie, I really like your hair. And you can hear how I used breath differently and inflection differently. The first way was a little self-conscious. Maybe I didn't really mean that I liked your hair, but I wanted you to like me. Mm -hmm. Maybe I was a little shy. There's nothing wrong with being shy. I can be shy and say, Connie, I like your hair. And it's still communicated more authentically. Yeah, for sure. Wow, this subject is really interesting and so important, I think. If somebody's interested in working with you, if they're in the D.C. area or even perhaps by Skype? I do work by Skype. How have, would they contact you? Uh, they can contact me at Kate, C-A-T-E-F as in Fraser N, KateFN at gmail.com or go to my website, www.katefrasierneely, C-A-T-E-F-R-A-Z-I-E-R-N-E-E-L-Y.com for more information. And Kate, I, I'm so inspired by this. I, I want to take some more voice lessons, <laughs> so I feel like I need it. But I am glad that I'm within my my yes, normal range. I know that so. you've thought about this a lot, though, yes. that you have experimented and grown in um, in your own life a lot with this. So you're probably starting off on the spectrum at a, at a much higher level than many people who've maybe never thought of their voices before, or people have been told they have to be more assertive, they have to be more aggressive, and you can hear the amount of pressure on my throat as I do that. And that's not really who I am anyway. 
if someone who is authentically that way, like Fran Deschler, speaks that way and she has her body behind it, it will work. But it takes a little bit of experimentation to let out the person that's inside of you and develop the musculature to support that. So don't try this on your own if you're an actor and trying to come <laughs> well, in and see Kate. As well, no, there are many actors who have found it on their own. But interestingly enough, that's how Alexander Technique was founded, was by a, an actor who lost his voice. Right, that's right. And he spent some time in front of a mirror observing his body as he spoke, and he could start to identify what was dysfunctional when his throat didn't sound right and what his body looked like and felt like when it was flowing and free and he felt energy. And so it is possible to do on your own, but you have to put in the work and the time. Mm, you do. All right. Well, I'm going to get to work. Go to Kate's website. Thank you, Kate. Fraser Neely. You're <laughs> awesome. Thank you, Connie Bowman. And I love you. I love you too. <laughs>